The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Last week, we, we preached or we studied a topic that I wasn't sure at that time whether it would be one message or more than one message, and we'll see how this morning goes, but... Uh, I feel strongly led to go back to that same topic again. And the question we asked last week was this, how do I find the right person? <laughs> how do I find the right person? Now, we came to the point of realizing that that's the wrong question. That's not what we should be asking. You know, the world tells us that if you'll find that right person, in fact, uh, Andy Stanley, who is a, a preacher that I've, I've listened to some, I don't agree with his salvation theology, but, uh, but he got this right. He said it's called the right person myth. And, and that idea is, is that if you'll just find the right person, once you meet the right person, then everything, including you, is going to be all right. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. In fact, that's, that's a problem in our country today and in our culture is that so many times we're looking for the right person and we think we find the right person and then that person turns out not to be what we wanted or what we expected and, and so we have to decide and, and conclude we found the wrong right person and we need to go look for the right right person, okay? And, and that's, that's the myth that the world promotes and, and, you know, doesn't the world always get it wrong? Doesn't it just always get it wrong, you know? Money will bring you happiness. No, it won't. <laughs> a power will bring you happiness. It does not bring you happiness. Some of the most miserable people in the world are the richest and the most powerful people. So the right question, though, is not how I find the right person, but how I become the right person. How, and, and, again, I, I, I quote from... From Andy Stanley, I'm plagiarizing, Brother Buddy, as, as, as preachers always do. Don't let any preacher tell you they've never taken something from another preacher and used it, uh, including Brother Buddy. But anyway, that's... <laughs> but uh, uh, he put it this way. He said, our, our job is not to find the right person. Our job is to become the right person. And ask this question. Am I the person, the person I'm looking for is looking for? <laughs> and, and, and if you're married, am I the person that my spouse was hoping for, okay? So we talked about that, and we talked about the fact that we live in this sleepless in Seattle culture, right? Don't we? I mean, I mean if, I can, if I can just get to the top of the Empire State Building before Tom Hanks leaves, then I can go back to Seattle and live happily ever after with him. That's what the world promotes. Boy, it makes a good movie. But, they, but, but, you know, all they can show you is the two hours leading up to the Empire State Building. They don't show you what happens when they get back to Seattle. And she finds out that it's a damp, wet climate out there, and it's probably bad for her uh, sinuses, and maybe uh, can't find the job she wants, and has, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he snores too much. I don't, you know, who knows? There's problems. What you've got is, is, is no such thing in this world as happily ever after. Now remember too, I, I just want to also say to you, we're not saying, I'm not preaching to you 
that God is not providentially leading you in your search for a spouse, you better hope he is. <laughs> you better hope he is. The Lord's with us everywhere and in everything we do, but you better, you better pray God's leading you, okay? And that also doesn't mean that there's not someone out there that, that the Lord would rather you be with than anybody else. But what it does mean, and what I am telling you, is the world gets it all wrong. Do not listen to the world, okay? We talked about the fact that, uh, that in this sleepless in Seattle culture, we get the idea that if we just find that right person, everything is going to be perfect. Well, I got news for you. <laughs> everything ain't perfect in this world. We live in an imperfect world, okay? And I always, I know I shared this with you last week. It's a, to me, it's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. It's supposedly a true story. I think it was Elder Lasir Bradley that told it, but, but it was one of the preachers. He said he was at church one time and an older deacon talking to the young girls about Cinderella. She'd been to see Cinderella. He said, oh, that's a great story, isn't it? Talking to the young girls. said, they went home. They lived happily ever after, didn't they? And she said, Oh, no, they didn't. They got married, you know. So, and, and there's, a, there's a point to that. And, and listen, I'm not telling you that there's something wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong with marriage. The problem doesn't lie with marriage. The problem lies with us, okay? And the problem lies in a culture that teaches us that you need to be finding somebody who will make you happy. That's what, that's what we're told, right? Oh, you've got to find seeking that person that'll make you happy, right? And then that what you would, oh, when I find the person that'll make me happy. Well, here's the problem with that. If that's what the world's telling you, that's what the world's telling the person you're looking for. <laughs> and so you find that person who's looking for somebody to make her happy or him happy. And, and, and you got two sinners looking for the other sinner to make them happy. And it's a recipe for disaster. So the purpose we said last time was to not to find the right person, but to become the right person by following Jesus. Uh, if you remember at the end of the service, at the end of the message last time, I gave you the answer of how to find the right person. And the answer is you found him. You found your Prince Charming. You found your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you become content in him, when you follow him, then you're at a point in your life where the Lord can providentially bring someone into your life that is also hopefully following Him. So this morning, I want to go back to this great question of our lives and talk about some more practical things uh, uh, that I believe that, uh, uh, that are also taught in the Word of God. And, and these, these I, I trust, let me say to you, what I'm going to preach to you this morning, like I preached last Sunday and like I try to preach every Sunday, is not just my opinion. Now, if I get my opinion mixed up in some of this, then I apologize and you call me on it. But, but I believe that what we are going to talk about this morning in part two of this, this sermon series, if you will, uh, I believe is what the Bible says from a practical standpoint about our search for the quote-unquote right person. Okay? Now... I use that understanding that, again, that's the wrong question. Let's, let's put it this way. The great question of our lives for many of us is, is who am I going to marry? Who am I going to 
to, to, to wed and start a family with, okay? Now, some of us are already married, okay? Some of us better not be looking, <laughs> but, uh, but some, many of us are already married, okay? But, but many of us aren't, and we don't know what the future holds, and, and so don't tune out if you're already married. Don't tune out if you say, well, I'm not looking anyway, because you need to be someone who helps guide the younger people, or not just the younger people. You may be a younger person that can guide an older person by listening to what the Word of God says. So let's launch into this in the time that we have this morning. First of all, again, the world gets it all wrong. So let me state unequivocally, it is okay, young people, to be single at 30. It is. <laughs> it is. I get it. You know, what does the world say? The world says, oh, your biological clock is ticking, you young folks, you know. Uh, whether you're a, especially that applies to you ladies, that's what you hear, I'm sure. I'll, oh, your biological clock, my biological clock is ticking. I've got to, but listen, there's no, ignore the biological clock, okay? That's not what it's about. There's no timetable set out in God's word when it comes to marriage. The biological clock is the world's invention to stress you out, ladies, okay? You, you want to get stressed? You start thinking, well, I'm getting older. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? That is a fiction in the word of God. Now, let, me, let, me, let me show you somebody who got to worrying about the biological clock. In Genesis chapter 16, there was a lady named Sarah who was married to a man named Abram. Now, in that day, particularly, not having children was a big deal. Right. It, was, it was looked upon as a curse from God if you were barren and couldn't have children, okay? Well, Sarah was barren and couldn't have children, but in their case, God had a plan. God had a purpose for, for, for Abraham's life and Sarah's life, and that purpose was that at the, at the given time, at his time, Sarah was going to conceive and have a child. And she'd already been told this before chapter 16, okay? But you know what? I know what the world was saying. I know what they were saying. Now, they didn't have Facebook back then. I don't know what they had. But they were going around and say, Sarah hadn't had a child. Sarah hadn't got it. What's going? What's going on with her? She hadn't had a baby yet. Tick, 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 tick. Biological clock's ticking, right? Okay. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, or to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And I don't have to continue reading there to tell you that that was one of the most disastrous decisions in the history of the world. <laughs> okay? Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples. Where are we today? What do we have problems with today? Listen, she was, she was stressed out by the message of the world. I'm not having children yet. I'm not where I need to be. My biological clock is ticking. I've got to do something now. And she jumped into a decision that she later regretted and caused her pain and suffering and is still causing us pain and suffering today. Ignore the biological clock. And, and secondly, singleness is not a sin. Right. Okay? Right. Keep that in mind. Now, I'm not, we're going to talk about it here. I'm not saying that that's, everybody should be single. I, but singleness is not a sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, listen to what Paul says about this. 
Paul says in chapter 7 and verse, uh, well, verse 7, listen. Now, remember, Paul was a single man. Paul was not married. As far as we know, he never married. And look at verse 7. He says, For I would that all men were even as I myself. I wish you were all not married. He said, but, but, now here's the key. Every man hath his proper gift of God. One after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. You know what that tells me? That tells me that it's not a sin to be single. It's okay to be single in the sight of God. You know, everybody's purpose is, oh, I've got to get married. I've got to have children. I've got to go. Now, listen, in God's eyes, singleness is not a sin. Now, I'm not saying that's what God wants for you in your life. Every person has an individual relationship with God. And I believe God has a purpose in the life of every, every one of his children. But he says, under the married, I... Uh, uh, verse 8, I say that un unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. In other words, marriage was given for a purpose. It was given for the purpose, certainly, of, of proclamating the race, but it was also given to, to keep you from sins that otherwise would beset you if you're not able to contain them, okay? But now, if you come on down a little bit and you look in verse 30, um, 32 of this same chapter he says i would have you without carefulness he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the lord how he may please the lord but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how he may please his wife now again we're going to see here in just a minute marriage is not a bad thing that's not what he's saying here but he's saying it's not a sin to be single and and guess what we were all single before we married, right? <laughs> Weren't we all single up until we got married? Well, it wasn't a sin to be single. And if, if our overriding concern is, oh, I've got to get married. I've got to find that person. I've got to do, have a family. Do that. And, 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 and you're not focused on serving God. See, that's the problem. That's the problem we have. We don't live in the I am moment. See, God is not the great I will be. He's the great I am. And that means in the moment we're in right now, He is all that we need. Amen. Oh, I need more money. No, you just need more God. <laughs> I need a wife. No, you need, you need God. I need a husband. I need God. You need God. You don't need anything else. Now, you may want these things, and it may be ultimately in God's plan for you to have these things, but right now as we be content, Paul said, in whatsoever state you're in, Right now, all you need is God. I'm hungry. You don't need any food. You need, you need God. You, you need, see, God, it is, singleness is not a sin. Marriage is not either. But there are those people, and I know, Sherry and I know some people that are friends who never married and have served God admirably in that position. You know, Jesus even talks about that. In Matthew chapter 19, listen to what the Lord himself says about this. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm not promoting and preaching, don't marry, okay? Remember this. I'm just telling you what I'm preaching to you is not don't marry. What I'm preaching to you is don't get stressed out about it, okay? 
Because Jesus says in chapter 19 of, of Matthew, in verse uh, 12, and, and he, they've been talking about divorce and mar marriage, divorce and remarriage. And I'm not going to rehash all of that. We've had it admirably and well preached to us by Brother Buddy not too long ago. But he gets down to this point. His disciples say, oh, man, this is just better not to marry, right? <laughs> In verse 10, if the case be the man be so with his wife, it is, not, it, it is not good to marry. In verse 11, but he said unto them, Jesus said, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there, now listen to this, there are some eunuchs. Now we know what a eunuch is. A eunuch is a man in that day who was uh, forbidden to marry and made physically impossible to have children. And, and it was usually done forcibly by those eastern kings so that they could put them in the positions of authority in their, in their courts and they wouldn't have to worry about them uh, messing around with the harem or, or trying to steal their wives or concubines. And that's why they would do that, okay? So, but now listen to, listen to what Jesus says. There are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some that are born that way, okay, that, that are not able and mostly not interested in seeking a wife, okay? And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. There's, there's some right there that were forcibly made that way. Now listen to this. And there be, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now that doesn't mean physically that they've done something to themselves, but what that means is, is they have chosen not to pursue marriage and family so that they could focus upon the kingdom of God. There are people out there like that. There are people I know like that. I'm not promoting monasteries. <laughs> I'm not, uh, not preaching celibacy of the priesthood i'm not that's not what jesus is talking about but what he's saying is again it's not a sin to be single one who is voluntarily single for the purpose of focusing on his or her service to god that's a that's a good thing but you will notice it's the exception i understand that it's the exception it's not where most of us are one other thing I want to say about being single is it is better to be single than to be unequally yoked. My granddaddy McCoo used to say something that wasn't a verse in the Bible, but as they say, it probably ought to be in Brother Bain. It was a biblical principle. He said, I'd rather, he said, I'll live by myself before I live in a mess. You know, think about that. I'll live by myself or I'll live in a mess. I'd rather be single than live in a fussing, fighting problem constantly. That's the way he, that's the way he felt. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 6. What does it say? Verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Boy, it's getting serious here, isn't it? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You're better off single than to be unequally yoked in any situation, whether it's business or social situations, but certainly marriage. <laughs> what, what, what greater yoke is there in the world than marriage? 
Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. He says, for ye, are, uh, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. In other words, you better stay single instead of marrying an unbeliever. Or being unequally yoked with someone who is an unbeliever or who is not on the same page with you in their walk with God. You know, you know what this is all about? <laughs> Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what is he talking about? Food, raiment, clothing, all the things we need for life. All these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom. What's this all about? It's about priorities, priorities, priorities. You need to put God first and his kingdom. And then everything else second or last. <laughs> and, and the other things will tend to fall into place if you're seeking them. So... <laughs> So, as I said, it's okay to be single at 30. But it's also okay to be seeking a mate. It's okay to be finding a spouse. Because marriage is a good thing. Proverbs 18.22 Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Don't let anybody else tell you. Don't, don't take what I said earlier and say, oh, Brother Chris says it's better not to ever marry. I didn't say that. There's certain conditions where it's better not to ever marry. But, but I'll tell you what, it's, marriage is a good thing. It's, we've a, if you find a, a wife, men, you found favor of the Lord. Hebrews 13, 4 says marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled. Marriage is a good thing, Okay. And, and it is something that, that we should pray to God for and seek his will in, in our search for a spouse and praise it. Brother Buddy said earlier, we need to thank the Lord when he does something for us. We need to praise him for it when he brings someone into our lives and we have a godly marriage. Okay? Now, again, I said I want to I preach some practical things this morning. So, so you're saying, preacher, that, uh, that if I'll just lay down on my bed in my dress and cross my arms and close my eyes, that my Prince Charming will scale the walls of the castle, kick in the door, give me a kiss, and wake me up. No. <laughs> Ladies, you're not sleeping, beauty. And your Prince Charming is not going to scale the walls and bust down your door and wake you from your beauty sleep, okay? Guys, it's a lot simpler for you. You're not Prince Charming, okay? You're not. I saw the movie. He's a lot better looking than you, and he's a lot better person than you, okay? You're a sinner, you see. In the movies, Prince Charming was just a great I mean, He was perfect, Okay? My point is this, is that marriage is something that must be sought. It's something that takes effort, right, on our parts. It's not just a, now, now look, I'm not saying the Lord, the Lord, as I said, is providentially involved 
in, in this process. He's leading and guiding, okay? But, but, but it's the rare case where, where, the, you know, where somebody parachutes into your living room and says, I'm here, <laughs> you know. I don't know of any, you know, this, again, the sleepless in Seattle culture, you know, it's the rare case where you turn on the radio and you hear the, hear the guy on the talk show and you go out to Seattle and find him, you know. It's, it's a rare case. I'm not saying it can't happen. It can. But the principles of God's word apply even, in a, you know, romance and marriage is not something different than the rest of your walk with Christ. It's not something that the rules change. It's like people think, you know, you ever heard people say this about, and I, I, you know I'm involved in politics. They say, well, that's just politics, okay? As if that excuses us not following the rules of the kingdom of God, okay? The rules of the kingdom of God apply in politics, and they also apply in our search for a mate. They do. And one of the, one of the primary things, Proverbs 18, 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, <laughs> And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I, I add that in there. I, I, I almost just stopped in the middle of the verse, but you need to remember something here. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly and don't forget, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Because see, in all of this, in all of your walk, in every part of your life, the Lord is there. And He sticks closer than a brother. And so, so you date, or you court, or you explore the idea of being with somebody and it doesn't work out oh my life is over it's ended there's nothing left for me no there's still a friend that sticketh closer than a brother it's inevitable it's going to happen if you're actually out there it's, it's, it's like it's like playing in a football game okay <laughs> you know if you're going to play in the game you're going to mess up as, as our coach used to say he said you know it's, you're going to get blocked but it's not a sin to get blocked it's a sin to stay blocked <laughs> That's the problem. Get back up. You're going you're gonna to get blocked. You're going to fall down. You're going to mess up. But that's, a, that's, that's the way it is. That's part of life. And don't ever forget there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But, but the point of that is, is that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. That applies to fellowship primarily, but it applies in what greater fellowship is there than the, than the marriage relationship. In other words, you have to expend some effort in seeking a spouse. Now, let me also hasten to say, I'm not saying that you should fellowship only in order to find a mate, okay? That's not what I'm saying. The primary purpose of fellowship is not to get married. The primary purpose of fellowship is to help us help one another in this struggle that we call life, okay? But sometimes as we've seen in different situations throughout our people of primitive Baptist people, for example, sometimes that's a fringe benefit. You tend to find the one that, uh, that the Lord would have you to be with more than anybody else. Now, I say that just to say, I know this is simple. Uh, you probably say, well, that's so simplistic, Brother Chris, but I, I just want to make sure we all are on the same page. It takes effort to do anything in following God, and it takes effort in seeking a mate. I think about Esther very often. In Esther chapter 5, now Esther, you know the situation with Esther. She was in the royal harem, and she became the chief queen, okay, uh, through a providential set of occurrences that ended up 
putting her in a place where she could save God's people in this life. She could protect them and save them. <clears throat> but there came a point where she needed to talk to the king. And, and normally, the way that worked is you didn't talk to the king unless he summoned you, okay? And, and he hadn't summoned her for a long time. And, and she told her uncle Mordecai that, said, I, I can't just walk in there. He said, listen, you've got to help us. And, and, and if, if you don't help us, somebody else will. He didn't call God's name, but that's who he's referring to. And who knoweth but what thou camest into the kingdom for such a time as this. So what she did was, she didn't go back to her room and say, if he wants to talk to me, he can come see me. She didn't do that, did she? She didn't go running in there uh, straight from the field and not, not making any effort to be presentable and, and to present herself. It says in verse five, chapter 5 and verse 1, it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house and it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand and she drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Now here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. This doesn't have anything to do with beauty, okay? It doesn't say, well, I'm just not pretty enough or I'm just not handsome enough. It doesn't have anything to do with beauty or handsomeness. It has to do with presenting yourself in the best way possible to your brothers and sisters in Christ, to those, and ultimately in the situation where you're seeking a spouse, seeking a mate, you know? I gotta admit, sometimes... You know, I'm married now, Brother Bob. You know, I just kind of, you know, I noticed here a while back that, that usually when I came in from, from work, uh, this is sort of an aside, but it's, it's an important point for you men uh, especially. Uh, so I, I come in from work, wherever I is, I, I get a shower, and, and, and then I come to the supper table to eat in front of my precious, beautiful, wonderful wife that I wooed. And, and was so diligent to, to, to work hard to impress some 27 years ago, 28 years ago. And, uh, and, and I came walking into the, into the uh, dining room with a pair of gym shorts and an undershirt on, you know? Just kind of looking myself, caught a sight of myself in the mirror. said, you know, probably wouldn't have done this when I was dating her, you know? <laughs> probably would have. Dressed up a little bit, and I've tried. I don't know if she's noticed, but I've tried lately to try to just, you know, you know, I just, I just want to get in there and, you know, not impress anybody. And guess what? I've succeeded. <laughs> I'm not impressing anybody. Now, I'm not saying you got to dress up. After, you know, after you get married, there's some there's some privileges of being married that you don't have to always dress up and be. You can just kind of be yourself, and 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 your your wife or your or, or your husband should accept that and 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 understand that but my, my point is is that though we should be presentable and we should try you know it's, a, it's an effort that it takes and it doesn't have anything to do with beauty it has to do with pre presenting our best self I tell you what if I had showed up on a date with her the second or third date in as ill a mood as I have been in sometimes since our marriage there wouldn't have been a marriage I'm afraid or at least if she did, it would have been pure grace on her part. 
So again, it's about presenting ourselves. Marriage must be sought, okay? Now, marriage must be sought in the right place. Don't ever forget that. That's a little, a little part of this that's extremely important. Remember, I've always said, if you want to catch the right kind of fish, you've got to fish in the right kind of pond. You're not going to catch brim in a catfish pond. You're not going to catch catfish in a bass lake if that's all that's in there. You're, you're just up, you're fishing in the wrong place. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you only look in primitive Baptist churches. But hey, what better place to start? <laughs> you know, what better place than, than, than going to some of these meetings? You know, going to some of these fellowship meetings or these annual meetings. There's a lots of options out there. I go to a lot of those meetings, and there's a lot of young folks out there. And I, I got, I've got a sneaking suspicion, brother buddy, they're not all there just to hear me preach. My point is this, is there's a lot of places that we can go that we don't need to be looking for a spouse. Okay? Proverbs chapter 7. I want you to look at this. Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 6. This is, this is the speaker here who is promoting wisdom. And he says, At the window of my house, I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones, and I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, Passing through the street near her corner, who is her, the strange woman. And he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Surprise, surprise, surprise. This young man was in the wrong place at the wrong time and lo and behold, he found the wrong woman. Wow, who would have ever thunk it? <laughs> you see, that's the beauty of the Word of God. It'll prepare you for that. It'll tell you, you don't need to be on the dark corners of this world in the dead of night near the strange woman's house because the problem is if you're seeking the strange woman, you will find her or the strange man if you're a young lady, okay? In the wrong place, at the wrong time, you'll find the wrong person. I guarantee you on the authority of God's word, you can call me a prophet <laughs> if you want to, but it will work out. Now, <clears throat> there's clear evidence in the word of God though of of the fact that when we seek the right person in the right way, and sometimes, even when we're not seeking, we find the one the Lord would have us to find. And we don't have to, you don't really have to turn there. I'm not going to be able to, in the time we have, to spend much time in the book of Ruth. But think about Ruth, and sometimes read that book again, especially the first two chapters. Ruth, this young Moabitess, pagan girl who married an Israelite who, had, who was in the wrong place, by the way. But he was there. He, she providentially was protected by God and married one of the sons of God, one of the Israelites, who then died. And she had an opportunity. She had every expectation that there were no prospects for her whatsoever if she stayed with Naomi. 
Naomi said, I'm going back to Israel. I've, I've come to Moab. It's been miserable here. The Lord, he, she blamed God for the Lord's put all this on me. He's made me bitter. It really wasn't God's fault. But she says, I'm going back. And y'all just, you girls, even, the, even this supposedly wise Israelite woman saying, you girls, her two daughters-in-law that, that are, her sons had died and left two, two daughters-in-law and said, y'all just don't, y'all don't even need to come with me. Just, just stay here. Ruth said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to go where you go. And this little Moabitess woman, whose prospects were pitiful, sought the kingdom of God anyway. And you remember, uh, it said that uh, she, in chapter 2, she went out into the field, and in verse 3 it says, she came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech which was her father-in-law. Now, her hap means it just so happened, basically. <laughs> oh, what a coincidence. I don't see any providence of God there, do you? <laughs> Absolutely the providence of God was involved. God was guiding her, and she happened to come to the right place. But the point is not that, oh, she was thinking, is this the right place? Is that the right place? She wasn't out there looking for the right place. She was out there serving God by serving her mother-in-law. And trying to take care of him out there working. Little, hard-working, young, Moabitess lady. Now, look on the other side. Boaz, okay? Now, Boaz was a great man, and he was an older man. <laughs> Boaz's biological clock was ticking all right, right? There'd been famine. There'd been times in Israel when he could have left. And he could have sought to these other lands like Elimelech did, but he didn't. He stayed put and he worked hard, okay? I'm sure there were times in his life, he was a fairly wealthy man, when these young ladies could throw themselves at him. He said, boy, I like what I see. And my biological clock is ticking. Ah, if I'm ever going to marry, I better do it now. But Boaz wasn't of that mindset. Boaz was serving God. He never settled for the lesser maidens. He never, never settled for less than what God had purpose for him. You see, he was okay to be single well into his adulthood because he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And you know the rest of that story. They end up marrying. And not only did, not only did they marry, not only is he blessed in his old age with this beautiful young lady, he, he and she become the great-grandparents of King David. And in the, priest, in the, in the Christ, Christly line, the Messianic line, you see. So, as we bring this sort of to a close, what about in the meantime, preacher? So you say it's okay to be single as long as I'm seeking God's will and as long as... You know, there's nothing sinful in that. It's okay to be seeking marriage, but I need to, I need to be seeking God's will. Well, here's, here's what to do in the meantime. Keep serving God. Amen. It's pretty simple. It's, it's not hard. Jesus said, follow me. <laughs> Boy, that's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> follow me. What do you mean? Follow me. That's all Jesus says. Follow me. Come unto me. Boy, I, I, I just think that's... Con you you got to have a 
doctor of divinity degree to complicate that. <laughs> it, it's, it's simple. Follow Jesus. But, but this is politics. Follow Jesus. It doesn't matter. But, but this is romance. Follow Jesus. It doesn't matter. You see, love is a choice. Love is a decision that you make. It's not just a feeling. Oh, I can't wait till I feel that funny feeling, you know. When I see my prince, someday my prince will come. You know, it's just, you know, some, I'll, I'll see her. She'll be out there. Aurora. Isn't that, wasn't, that the, wasn't that the one that, anyway, whatever her name was. And, she, anyway, she, and he sees her and he hears her sing. And, oh, that's her. I, my, my heart just leaps with it. Listen, that's great. And you need to have some attraction to the one you marry, okay? That's part of it. It's not just, oh, we're friends. Let's get married. No, you need to be friends. But you need to also, there needs to be some kind of attraction there too, Okay. But, uh, but it's not always going to be attraction. It's not always going to be bells and whistles and heart going pitter-pat. You see, love is a choice. And you just remember this. The sleepless in Seattle culture, it will lead you away from scriptural relationships. <laughs> in other words, making it to the top of the Empire State Building before Tom Hanks flies back to Seattle won't bring you happily ever after because you've still got two sinners trying to work out a relationship and you need guidance, okay? So in the meantime, serve God. Let me, let, me, let me share with you as we bring this to a close. The very first love story that's taught in the scripture. Do you know the first time we read that a man loved a woman is in Genesis chapter 24? The first time we read, you know, you know what I think that, I don't know, I don't know why. I think they just got it back then. They kind of understood better than we do. In Genesis chapter 24, that's the story of Abraham sending his servant back to their home country to find a bride for Isaac. And, and to sort of shorten things as our time is short here, the servant gets over to the place in Mesopotamia called Nahor, which is where, where Abram came from. <clears throat> and he'd been traveling for a while and he sat down and he prayed. In verse 12, he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel on whom, to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Here we see God at work. This servant seeking the Lord's guidance. And then in verse 15, it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher on her shoulders, looking for Prince Charming, right? No, <laughs> no. She wasn't in that type of culture, okay? But look now, the damsel of verse 16 was very fair to look upon. A virgin... Neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Boy, that tells us a lot of things that we need to spend a lot of time on about, about um, 
Rebecca. First of all, that tells me that although she was single, no doubt in that day the culture was putting pressure on her. You need to be getting married. You need to be thinking about marriage. <clears throat> she had stayed faithful to the dictates of God. She was a virgin. She had not been running around with different men trying to test drive, if you will, and see, is this the car I want? <laughs> is this the one I want? Is this, you know, maybe we can live together for a while and see if it works out. No, she wasn't doing that. And she was also not sitting up, you know, filing her nails, uh, waiting on somebody to come along. She was working. She was doing what she ought to be doing, just like Ruth, serving her father and thereby serving God. And you know the rest of that story. <clears throat> Here from verses 15 down to verse 20, we, we see Rebecca at work. She's serving God in the meantime. And long story short, the servant convinces Rebecca's folks to let her go with him. And they come back. And in, and, and in the end of this chapter, in verse 63... Okay. As Rebecca and her maidens are coming from this far country, headed home to where she's never been before, but it's nevertheless going to be her home. It says in verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. Here's another young man who's okay to be single as long as he's focused upon God. You see, he's not pining away he's not useless his life is not pointless he's not in despair he's meditating what's he meditating he's meditating about God he's 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 praying and staying in contact with God and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold the camels were coming and Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac she lighted off the camel got the camel she, she's, they saw each other. They, they were both individually seeking God's will. And through the providence of God, the providential care of God, they came together eventually and they saw each other. And in this case, when they saw each other, they realized it was right. Okay? For she had said unto the servant, What man is that that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It's my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. She didn't go crazy. <laughs> She didn't lose her mind. She, she still was a modest, godly young woman. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah. And she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. See, these were two young people that in the meantime were serving God. Okay. Now, if you know the rest of the story of Isaac and Rebecca, you know it wasn't a perfect marriage. They had problems still. But it was clear God was in this matter as, they, as he led them to this point. So, remember, a couple of things. One is, if you're single here today, just remember you've already found the right person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've learned whatsoever state I'm in to be content. He said, I am. He tells us in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, I believe it is, he says, 
ye are complete in him. You're not incomplete because you don't have a spouse. You're not, there's not, oh, part of me is missing. No, it's not. There's nothing in you missing. The Lord Jesus Christ fills up that void. The Lord Jesus Christ is there for us. You say, well, I'm in a, I'm in a marriage where I feel like something's missing. It may be Jesus. <laughs> Just remember that. It may be, if you need, you don't need anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that, that your spouse is perfect. It certainly doesn't mean you're perfect. But remember that you have found the right person who will be the only right person you'll ever know in your life. Okay? And in the meantime, if you're not married, or if you are, really, keep seeking Him first. Serving others daily and and seeking God's will. Who knows when God may bless you to find the person He's appointed for you here. Someone that He is providentially preparing for you. And keep asking your question. Not not am I going to find the right person, but am I becoming the right person? Am I becoming the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? I promise you, if you do that, things will be well with you. That means everything will work out. I'm not promising you to get married, but I'm promising you to have peace and joy in this life. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.